This afternoon, we confess together the uh, canons of Dort, Heads 3 and 4, Articles 1 and 3. Let's confess these together. Man was originally created in the image of God and was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary knowledge of his Creator and things spiritual in his will and heart with righteousness and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by his own free will, he deprived himself of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in his mind, perversity, defiance, and hardness in his heart and will, and finally, impurity in all his emotions. Man brought forth children of the same nature as himself after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, he brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam to all his descendants, except for Christ alone. Not by way of imitation, as in former times the Pelagians would have it, but by way of the propagation of his perverted nature. Therefore all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God to reform the distorted nature or even dispose themselves to such reform. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, consider the sinful human state this afternoon, please impress us, uh, impress upon us um, the depths of our own uh, sin, the breadth of our own sin, and help us to be willing to confess that sin to you. Help us in the sermon to hear both the law and the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Once again, we hear God's word from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Hear God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. We begin heads uh, three and four of doctrine this afternoon, which treat the biblical doctrines of sin and grace. Now these heads were written very specifically in response to certain Arminian errors. The Arminians believed that people were only partially sinful or corrupt. Therefore, with the right influences, the person could choose God freely. That was their belief. Now, the Arminian error speaks not only uh, to the issue of choice, but also to the issue of how sinful people really are. There's not time here to recount the horrors of which good people are capable. Suffice it to say, even the nicest and the best people commit unspeakable sin. If not in their actions, at least in their hearts. And this includes, of course, Christians. The scriptures argue that all people are dead in their sins and transgressions, and they are under the wrath of God. No one can do good, not one. All are sinful, and the wages of sin is death. This is a description of what we call total depravity. Depravity means uh, corruption, or spoil, or ruin. It is really a perversion of what is good. All people, we say, are totally depraved. That means people are completely sinful in every aspect of their being. So mind, soul, emotions, will, every aspect of the human, we say, is sinful. And since this is true, no person can choose God for salvation. No person can do good before a holy God. All people are lost and dead in their sins and transgressions unless God works in them by his Holy Spirit. So that is the subject of our sermon, is total depravity. What is it? And of course, uh, total depravity was not true of the original state. In the original state, a mankind, the Bible says, was good. And that state describes Adam and Eve's state when they lived in the Garden of Eden before the fall. At that time, mankind had an inherent knowledge of God. He was perfectly righteous and holy. We call this the original image of man. or I'm sorry, the original image of God in man. So it's not the, the image of God. It's not what people look like physically. It's who they were morally. And so the canons of Dort, Article 1 here says, A man was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary that is healthy knowledge of this, his creator and things spiritual and his will and heart with righteousness and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy. And the Bible is very clear about this. Notice, even in our own text, Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12 says, Sin came into the world. 
Which means, of course, there's a time before which there was not sin. Sin came into the world. The time before sin coming into the world was the original state. Then Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, which involved not only this functional aspect of ruling the world, but also a moral aspect. So if you go to passages such as Ephesians 4, uh, verse 24, and Colossians 3.10, you see in Paul's argument of the new people uh, Christians are becoming, that the attributes of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness were a part of the original state. So what we say is that Christians are the only people in whom these, these attributes of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness are being recreated in this life after they come to Christ. But those same attributes were a part of Adam and Eve, uh, made up their being before the fall. Then if you notice the rest of the Genesis account, man and God were at peace in the garden. So again, Adam, who represented all of humanity, was totally upright and good in all aspects of his being. There's no imperfection of sin. So there are no newspaper articles and constant CNN telling us how, or Adam and Eve, how bad people were, because there were no bad people during this time. And of course, their will was upright. Their will was upright during this time. Adam and Eve were free to obey God or disobey God. Because Adam was not confirmed in his original righteousness, his goodness, he could indeed sin, and in fact he did sin, using his free will wrongly. Adam's decision to sin caused a loss of his good gifts and the loss of any goodness in the rest of the human race. Adam's decision was the loss of the original state and the introduction of the fallen state in which you find yourselves now. So, Adam is the man to whom Paul refers in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, who brought sin into the world. Who was it? It was Adam who brought sin into the world. His sin caused his own guilt and corruption and the guilt and corruption of the entire world. So he became totally depraved. Everybody became totally depraved. So, uh, Article 1 continues of Heads 3 and 4. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation, and by his own free will, he deprived himself of these outstanding gifts, that is, righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself what? Blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in his mind, perversity, defiance, and hardness in his heart and will. And finally, impurity in all his emotions. That describes us. It's total depravity. So, Adam's guilt, that is, his state as a sinner under God's condemnation and his corruption, that is, the action of sin in his heart and actions are clear from Genesis 3. So you follow follow the story through, there's this original state that Adam and Eve find themselves in. They fall from that state. And then they're in the state of uh, sin, depravity. And this is clear that they are both guilty and they are corrupt. So notice that once Adam and Eve see 
that they have sinned, understand that they have sinned. They see that they're naked. They run. They uh, sow fig leaves on themselves. And all this uh, reveals the fact that they are guilty. God doesn't even show up yet. They know that they've broken His law and they are guilty of breaking God's law. Then when God conforms them, or rather confronts them and begins to judge them for the sin, what happens? Do they say, yes, God, I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. No. <clears throat> Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent for the whole thing. So what they do is they blame shift and do not confess their sin. This is a corruption of desires and the delusion that they could even talk their way out of it with God. Now Adam and Eve are totally depraved. That is, they are guilty before God. Every faculty of their being is corrupted. So intellectually, emotionally, psychologically, morally, spiritually, and the will to choose God and do good is gone. It is corrupt. And that's why God comes to judge them. And He's not their Heavenly Father any longer. Their complete sinful state incurs God's anger, not His favor. Now because Adam is the head of the human race, his sin, his guilt and corruption, his total depravity, in other words, is transferred to all people without exception. And that is the essence of Paul's argument here in Romans chapter 5. So one of the questions Paul seeks to answer in this passage is how Adam's sin is transferred to the entire human race. Remember the issue before you. We are saying that all people are totally depraved. That is, all people without exception are sinful in all respects and are unable to choose God and do good. But how do people end up this way from Adam's sin in past time? Have you ever had anybody ask you that? They want you to explain original sin. You say, well, Adam's sin became our sin. They say, well, wait a minute. Uh, how did this guy who lived, you know, how many years ago in history, how did his decision affect me? So now I'm in trouble with God. Well, that is what Paul talks about in this passage, and his answer essentially is that original sin is uh, Adam's original decision, his sin imputed to all people, or credited to all people. So verse 12, Adam, uh, Paul says, brought sin and death into the world, which spread to all people. Why? Because all sinned. And he means that Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden was imputed or counted to all people. As Adam was totally depraved, so are all people today depraved. In verses 13 and 14, Paul argues that sin can only be counted against a person when there is a law that states what is required by God. The law of God was published at Mount Sinai. If anyone, or rather, if someone breaks that law, then they understand that they have sinned because they knew better. It seems that if there is not law, then there's no sin, and then there will be no death. Because Paul says there's death in the world because of sin. But according to verse 14, there was in fact sin before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai because people died from the time of Adam to the time of Mount Sinai. But what is the sin if there's no explicit breaking of the law? Let's summarize what Paul is saying here. 
There's some people who are saying to Paul, your argument doesn't really make sense, Paul. If you say there's uh, sin because when there's law, what happened to all these people that were dying before the law was given? That is really the issue here. And Paul says, indeed, people were dying before the law at Sinai was given. And the answer is, they were dying because of original sin. So verse 12, death spread to all men because all sinned. The phrase all sinned refers to the original sin of Adam imputed to all people. This is confirmed in verse 17 which says that because of one man's trespass, that's Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man. In other words, Adam's sin is counted against all people even though they're disconnected from him in time and space. All people are counted as sinners and die because of that sin counted to them or imputed to them. Further, in verses uh, 17 and following, demonstrates the imputation of Adam's sin by comparison with the imputation of Christ's righteousness. For those who receive the grace of Christ, they will be saved from their sin through the one man, Christ. Verse 18, Adam's action of sin imputed to all people condemns them, but Christ's action of obedience leads to justification and life for all men. That is, all men who receive Christ Verse 17. So we've talked about this before. How do we know that Paul is not talking about universal salvation here? He says, well, through one man, Adam, all sin. Through Christ, all are saved. The qualification comes in verse 17. Only those who receive Christ will be saved. Then verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So in summary, when Adam sinned, he fell from his original state of innocence. He lost his gifts of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. In place, he became totally depraved. All of his faculties, in other words, were marred by sin. Because Adam is the representative of the entire human race, his sin became your sin by imputation. So the results of the fallen state is that man is now totally depraved and his will is in bondage to sin. So all of the unspeakable evils and terror that's a part of your normal everyday news is not caused just by social factors, as many people would say. No, rather the root is sin. But there's more. You have the tendency to say that the murderers and the rapists and the terrorists are the real sinners. Not you or the nice person next door. But Jesus says that if you even think about sins, you have done them. If you even think about the sins, you have committed them. And all people's sin is indicative of original sin from Adam. And this is a part of the actual sins, and altogether, we call this total depravity. This depravity deprives people of any natural choice for God or to do good. And that is the primary argument here that the framers of the canons were um, pointing against the Arminians. Because the Arminians said that basically people are just sort of sick, they're not dead. 
but the canons here are saying, no, people are dead in their sins and transgressions, as Paul says. And if that's true, they can't make any decision from God. Even if God were somehow to nudge them or to give them what they call prevenient grace to make a decision for Jesus, that's not what happens. Nobody who's dead in their sins and transgressions can choose God on their own. So again, the canons, Article 3 says, All people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform the distorted nature, or even to dispose themselves to such reform. That's just not popular. That will not fill your church. If you like the church growth movement, don't read that or these passages. Genesis 6.5 The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? A direct negation of what people say today, that there's some goodness in the heart of man. No, the Bible says it's wicked. Ephesians 2, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this air, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children, or rather by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So those who are outside of Christ are children of the devil, as Jesus says. Again, if you wish to impress your friends and uh, turn them on to the Christian faith, uh, that's not the way to do it in terms of human terms, but it is the most loving thing to say, because the only way anyone has any hope is to hear that they are dead, and their sins transgressions, and that the devil is their father, not God, if they're outside of Christ. So in other words, there's no hope for any person in themselves. A dead person will not and cannot choose God or do things that please him. Even the most righteous person cannot please God by his actions. Yes, his actions can and do achieve general good, but not good that pleases God for salvation. This is also very hard for people to confess and believe. How can somebody who has a lot of money and is very generous and helps maybe thousands of people with their generous contributions be repugnant in God's eyes? But that is, in fact, the case if they do not know Christ. Their actions do general good, to be sure, but it will not mean anything to God on Judgment Day. Also, brothers and sisters, it's very important to confess that Christians are totally depraved, but with an important qualification. The qualification is that Christians are not dead in their sins and transgressions. Christians are not children of wrath. Christians are not slaves to sin. No, when the Holy Spirit renewed you through the preaching of the word, you were made God's friend through Christ, made alive from the dead, and slaves, as Paul says in Romans 6, to righteousness. 
you've been justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. Nevertheless, you are still completely, totally depraved in the sense that all of your faculties are tainted by sin and will be until you die. And what's very important for you to understand is a very uh, important part of the process of sanctification is thinking, meditating on the fact of your sinfulness. You will actually grow in your faith if you consider carefully the depth and the breadth of your sin. Those Christians who begin to allegedly grow in their faith by going on without considering how sinful they are do not grow very much. Real growth comes from understanding how wicked you are. Now think of that. You as Christians confess that you are wicked, that your hearts are black, that your heart is still deceitful, that every faculty, your will, your psyche, your intellect, your emotions, everything are still tainted with sin. So here's an example. Let's say just for argument's sake, somehow you have an argument with your spouse. I know this probably never happens in the church, but it's safe it did. If you're being confronted by your spouse and you think you're not all that sinful, your first step is going to be to defend yourself and not really to listen carefully to your spouse. However, if you receive the fact that you are wicked, you may be more inclined to say, you know what, I think I will listen to him or her. That I really am sinful. That I am delusional at times. And all of a sudden you will see how great your sin is. Not only through your spouse, but also through the law of God that tells you exactly what you are to do. And you don't care. And in fact, you find out that you love to break God's law. People that have walked with Christ 70, 80 years of their life will tell you that they realize now, after all this time, how sinful they really are. And they're learning that more each day as they walk with Christ. These are usually, typically, the more wise among us and the more humble because they realize how sinful they are. Those who become recalcitrant and arrogant and fly off into the wind are those who do not consider their sin carefully and how bad and wicked they are. So you see, the doctrine of total depravity is not sort of this this arguing block we have against the Arminians and Evangelicals today who do not confess this. It's not just that. Even that can be arrogant. It's something that's of great use in the church, that we can understand and see how much we need to grow and how much we love Christ because He loves us despite our ongoing wickedness. And so you see, in conclusion... That is the great hope, is that as you realize your sin more, as you realize you're totally depraved, you realize the love Christ has for you. Even in your deepest, darkest moment of sin, as you have true faith, Christ still loves you. And He understands your wickedness and your weakness, and He will not leave you. He will not despise you. Because all of the Father's wrath was poured out on Him for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.